10 points. You got a 10 point I got all my right points there. back that I lost. Oh, that, that's the epic win you were looking for in this <laughs> yes, game. Yes, yes. All, all right, right, Celeste, you're up. Everybody hands off the table. All right, six points for Celeste. Six for Celeste. Remember which card you're doing one more. Pressure your luck. For one point, right, we got to pull out. We're one done. <laughs> Here, I'll move you back, Tim. What color you are you? All that we are done. Point? We yeah, are done, done, right? We're done. We're done. Are we done? Welcome to Witch Game First, where we explore the hilariously huge world of board games. Did we find any hidden treasures you've been missing out on? Let's find out. First up this week, we match marketplace wits in a cutthroat world of carpet sales in Marrakech. Next up, it's off to a charming valley where we go paw to paw in a city building race in Everdell. And lastly, we try not to get caught in that delicious trap full of cheese in SWAC. <laughs> I'm your host, Celeste Angelis, here with my decades long gaming buddies, Evan Bernstein. Hello. Ed Povolitis. Hey, guys. And Mike Grenier. It is I. Our first game up this week is Marrakech, designed by Dominique Earhart, published by Gigamic in 2007. Number of players 2 to 4, ages 8 and up, playtime 30 minutes. Okay, Mike, tell us, what's in the box? On the cover, a crescent moon hovers peacefully over a patchwork of delightfully festive rugs, seemingly spanning the globe. Inside, you'll find a board to represent the infinite rug market, 60 cloth rugs, 40 coins made out of wood, and a meeple for Assam. And there's also a custom six-sided die. And that's what's in the box. Well, before we hang this review up and beat the dust out of it, Evan, <laughs> tell us how it's played. In Marrakesh, each player takes the role of a rug salesperson who tries to outwit the competition. Each player starts with 30 dirhams, that's money, and an equal number of carpets. On your turn, you may rotate a psalm 90 degrees, then roll the die and move him forward as many spaces as showing on the d6. If a psalm reaches the edge of the board, follow the curve and continue moving in the next row. If a psalm lands on another player's carpet, you must pay that player one coin per square showing that is contiguous with the landed on square. Then, you place one of your carpets orthogonally adjacent to Assam, but it cannot fully cover any single opponent's carpet. The game ends when all players have played all carpets, each player gets one coin per visible square, and the player with the most dirhams wins and is the greatest carpet salesperson in all of Rugdom. Rugdom. All of Rugdom, yes! <laughs> <laughs> the capital of Rugdom is... Uh, Ruggingham Pile. Station. Yeah, <laughs> Pile High Palace. Rugopia. <laughs> Carpetopolis. Carpetopolis, yes, that's it, Celeste. That's it. <laughs> well, we played this game on Board Game Arena for our Twitch channel, and you can see it now on YouTube. How did it go, guys? I didn't get a chance to play with you. Oh, you would have yeah. loved it. Oh, I forgot you didn't yeah, play this one. I think you would have enjoyed this. Yeah, that's right. I did not play it. Although, let me get this straight based on what Evan said about the rules. Is this a game where you're basically all in the marketplace together, throwing your carpets on top of other people's carpets, trying to outsell them? <laughs> well, there are no carpets when you first start the game, but you start putting 
rug down as you play. And each rug basically takes up two squares. And you're like, here, check out my rug. No, <laughs> yes. this rug is more mm-hmm. beautiful. You're like throwing it over the last guy's rug. <laughs> layers <laughs> yeah. upon layers upon layers. Yeah, you're trying to convince this Assam guy to come buy your carpet. So as he's moving through the through the market, you're tossing rugs in front of him like, buy this one, buy this one. <laughs> <laughs> and mm-hmm. Ed, that's the only player pawn, right? That is the only player pawn, and it has a name. His name is Assam. He's cute. And at the first thing you do each turn is decide which way he faces before you roll the die to see how far he's going to walk. <laughs> mm-hmm. I love it. He's just this guy wandering around. You're really hoping he's going to show up for you. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're kind of pointing him away from other people's carpets, too, so they don't get paid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, At least you try to. Sometimes yeah, it's try. not always possible because uh, you might be stuck in a corner that's all of a different color. So, Evan, what about the uh, odds on a roll? You can easily determine what your odds are going to be because you're going to move one through four spaces. And then you can see, depending on the direction you're going, if you're going to roll a one, where you're going to land. If you're going to roll a two, where you're going to land and so forth. So it's kind of easy to calculate. It's 25%, 50%, 70%, 100%, generally speaking. So it, so there's not a whole bunch of brain work to do in that in that regard. It is a custom die. The die has a, mm-hmm. a one, two two, two threes, and a four. Yeah, so you get that average roll of two or three. So you're kind of banking on that usually. And, and Celeste, what you were alluding to earlier about the players putting carpets down, kind of layering over each mm-hmm. other. Yes, that's part of the game to help not only block your opponents. But what you want to do is try to build the largest contiguous space of the same color carpet. Because the larger that space is, and if Hassam lands on it, the larger the reward's going to be for you. <laughs> or you may be laying a carpet down just to break up one of those uh, giant Mikey fields. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. There were some big ones. Yeah, I, I, my strategy was just to make a ginormous rug that's all contiguous. And they kept trying to break it up, but I kept putting it back together. But, you know, sadly, <laughs> they were avoiding it somehow. <laughs> the whole middle of the board was my giant rug, and they just dodged and weaved and weaved get it <laughs> well, since the whole middle of the game was poison basically i try to keep to the edges as much as possible technically 40 square feet or smaller constitutes a rug oh the size oh. yeah that that's apparently the technical designation right. now you again i went to i got that from one source and i would not be surprised if there's some kind of Controversy in the rug carpet. In which they have, you know, you attend conventions <laughs> and you attend the panel on oh, carpet no! or rug. Yes! Oh my gosh. Finally. No way. My rug empire has paid off. <laughs> Why would you go anywhere near Mike's stuff? He oh, had that's... he didn't have a lot of great choices. <laughs> no, a lot of good choices there, but I gotta chip away at that empire. But yeah, got, yeah, that's why he did it, so he could chip away at my empire. Unlike other games, the edges are the edges. That's as far as you can go. It's like pool. You're bouncing the ball back towards the center. But not with this game because you can go off the edges and it brings you around onto the next row. It's like this, almost like this half pipe of a, picture a half pipe skateboarder for those who are cool enough to know what that is. And it kind of goes up and off the, but then it brings you back down into the pl- into the playing field just at a different point. And the corners and the edges work that way. I thought that was a neat convention. The point that it brings you back, is it random? No, it's designated on the board. So if I go off on one row, it 
it directs me with an arrow as to where I need to bring Assam back onto the board, and it'll be one of the rows above it or below it. Right, which is what he would do. Assam would go out, grab a pretzel, <laughs> dip, and then come back in and look at more carpet. Evan brought up pool, and and in a way, I thought of this as a game of like eight ball, where sometimes you don't have a shot. So what you're trying to do is just position the ball where it won't harm you, like they won't take over the board in their next turn. And that's kind of what you're doing with Assam. You're trying to put them in a position sometimes where the least damage will be done against you. Sometimes you can get kind of stuck in a corner, though, where everywhere you go, it's bad for you. So you <laughs> yep. can say, well, it may, maybe I'll roll a four and get out of it if I point this way. So what about pointing? Is that the main decision? You can't turn in 180, but you can either keep going the direction you're facing or turn left or turn right, and then roll the die see how much far you move. And that's, your, I think, your biggest choice at the beginning of each turn. Putting down a carpet is a decision as well, but often those decisions are fairly obvious. My idea was to have a giant rug, but I think in retrospect, having like some medium-sized patches of rug makes it a lot harder for people to, to weave around what, you, uh, what you've put out there. Okay, explorers, it's time to dig up or bury Marrakech. Ed? A bit too much is left to the fickle will of dice for my taste, but... The game is intriguing to look at, and I had fun, so I wouldn't mind playing again, and for that reason, I'll dig it up. Mike? Although dice usually hate me, I I enjoyed this game. And if you want a game where the mechanics, the aesthetics, and even the textures are relaxing, Marrakesh is just right, so I say dig it up. Evan? Marrakesh is an interesting strategy game with a unique theme. I think it's as much a puzzle as it is a game, and I like the challenges it presented. Dig it up. If you have thoughts about Marrakech, come and chat with us on Facebook, or follow us and chat with us on Instagram, where you can also see our game pictures and videos. Our next game up is Everdell, designed by James A. Wilson, published by Starling Games in 2018. Number of players, 1 to 4, ages 14 and up. Playtime? 40 to 80 minutes or 20 minutes per player. Okay, Mike, tell us what's in the box. Inside the box for the standard edition, you'll find a 128 critter and construction cards, 16 mini event cards, 11 forest mini cards, 30 berries, 30 twigs, 25 resin tokens, 20 pebbles, 30 point tokens, 20 occupied tokens, 24 wooden workers, an eight-sided die, and a game board, the Ever Tree, and a starter event tiles. Now, there's a collector's edition which upgrades some of the components and adds some new stuff. For instance, in the collector's edition, you have uh, 15 extra extra cards, a rug wart pack, which is just three cards that add to the game, and the, the point tokens are upgraded to metal. The occupied tokens are now wooden, and the eight-sided die is bigger, better, faster, stronger. <laughs> There's also six rat workers and the Legends expansion, which is ten new cards. And that's what's in the box. Well, before we go critter crazy, Evan, give us a quick overview of the rules. Everdell is a tableau building and worker placement game set in the deep forest where all sorts of animals make up this thriving community. On their turn, a player can take one of three actions. First, place a worker. Each player has a collection of worker pieces. 
These are placed on the board locations, events, and destination cards. Workers perform various actions to further the development of a player's tableau, such as gathering resources, drawing cards, and taking other special actions. Second, play a card. Each player is building and populating a city, a tableau of up to 15 construction and critter cards. There are five types of cards, travelers, production, destination, governance, and prosperity. Cards can generate resources, which are twigs, resins, pebbles, and berries. They can grant abilities and ultimately score points. The interactions of the cards reveal numerous strategies and a near infinite variety of working cities. Lastly, prepare the next season. Workers are returned to the player's supply and new workers are added. The game is played from winter through the onset of the following winter. Add up the victory points and when there are no more moves to make, declare victory and become the high exalted muckety muck of Everdell. <laughs> <laughs> muckety muck. That's a very That's an official title. title, yeah. <laughs> well, we got to play this game live, which was yeah. a real Yes, treat. I know. Yeah, yeah. in person. Yeah. You can see our unboxing of this very fancy collector's edition on Instagram. Mm -hmm. So what about all those components and the look of this game? Yeah, I love, love the components. I think the best decision they made was the naming of the components. I mean, twigs, pebbles, berries. Aww. Although <laughs> I was a little bit not sure about resin. They should have said amber. That's what I came up with. I said, it looks like amber. Yeah, I loved, yeah. when I was a little kid, I loved amber, like, insects from the dinosaur age. Amber would have been a good name for that. But I, I got I got slapped on the wrist when I called the twigs wood instead of twigs. <laughs> Ed did correct him quite, oh, totally. quite forcefully. Man, it was, I suffered his correction mightily. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I gotta say, guys, this might come as a surprise, but I was a little turned off by the art, especially on the collector's edition box cover case there's a little case that comes over the box itself a slip case yeah it's a grid of four by four pictures right so it's 16 small square pictures and it was an overload for me it was kind of like beatrix potter on speed <laughs> <laughs> the 16 images that you're referring to celeste perhaps it's because several of them are sort of in the shadows have sort of this dark edge to it as if you're peering out from a dark space looking into something that's that's illuminated and maybe that's not the most inviting set of images that a person might want to see it's intriguing to me though like i, I like the idea that you're peering in yeah for me it looked like we're peering into this whole other world that's just hidden in the valley it's like wow there's a bunch of critters living here <laughs> building a city this is neat i think more than anything it was the amount of color the components are gorgeous i absolutely love the wood pieces like my little wood squirrels were red and <laughs> the tones that they chose to paint the wood pieces or dye the wood pieces great so as i'm looking at this board i see that there's a giant like three-dimensional tree on there that looks really cool but is it necessary like is it a component that needed to be there to make the game function or was it just for aesthetics it's primary for aesthetics but i think it presents the information it does have interestingly now and i agree it, it stands out i remember seeing the game for the first time at a convention and like what is that game with that big tree on it, <laughs> it i had to walk over and see what it was about we actually bumped into it three years ago when it very first came out at the World Board Gaming Championships. Somebody had brought it with them. They had just gotten it in the mail. 
and they were playing in the open gaming section. And I will say that is a walk by stopper, that tree. So <laughs> it definitely tree- pulls you out of the aisle for sure. Yeah. It was pretty superfluous, though. You know, there wasn't much going on with the tree. It's a place to put some cards and there's some special events or some events tucked underneath it. You keep your extra workers there and it tells you information about what happened at the end of each season. I guess it does serve the purpose of saving space, having stuff stacked on top of each other. Mm -hmm. That's kind of helpful. I will give it this. It was very well put together. And I think it, it helped worked. bring the yeah. setting together. Is it supposed to be the Ever Tree? And we're all building the community or the town around the Ever Tree. So this game has a set of mechanics with it, but they're all familiar, right, Ed? Yeah. I mean, I think people are familiar with worker placement games and tableau building games and managing resources in their hand of cards. And you have to manage all of those aspects of the game. In that way, it did feel like you were building a city because you do have to manage what's in front of you. Also, what resources you can go hunt down, how you, you know, gathering stuff. And the limits were kind of interesting, weren't they, Evan? Yeah, I thought so. You can only build your city to 15 cards. 15 spaces is all you have. And you do find that by the end, towards the end of the game, you may be running out of spaces. I know I did. Yeah, I I did too. And I was surprised by that. Yeah, which was which was interesting. Um, so you're looking to ways to either improve your spaces if that's possible, but I didn't see many many opportunities to do that. There was one opportunity in which you could stack two cards onto one space with a husband and a wife character cards occupying the same space. That was kind of cool. I think one of the other ways, I mean, it didn't serve me very well, and I didn't come anywhere near the 15 limit. I went for bigger buildings, meaning more expensive buildings took longer to put together. Uh, so I I imagine it's really all about the balance, you know, build some big ones so you don't lose so you don't run out of space, but also you need some little ones to gain more victory points. You do. There's a bit of an engine building component to it. You need some of those zero or one value cards in the beginning to sort of get your resources flowing and other things moving along that will later on turn into larger rewards. I had a little bit of a problem with the way the play order went because I do think that the earlier players have an advantage over the guy who goes last. Um, And because you're in resource gathering, obviously you're going to be gathering resources at the beginning of this game, right? That's the first thing you need to do. Get some stuff so you can buy stuff. So by the time it got to me, the really prime spots that gave you a variety of components or a variety of resources were gone. And that, I think, at the very beginning was limiting. How the turtle beat the squirrel to the spot is beyond me. Because you made Ed go first. You should have made me go first. How the turtle beat the squirrel to the spot is beyond me. I don't think the theme informs play here. (laughs) This game is totally detached from reality. How did the squirrel not get to the spot before the turtle? Have you seen squirrels run in front of cars and, like, you know, play death run with cars? A turtle has no chance. A squirrel plays it all day. Well, you haven't read the story then, right? Because uh, what happened is the the squirrel gets really cocky, thinks it's going to outrun the fox, that outrun the, the turtle, and then... The turtle just marches right along on a thing, and the squirrel got distracted doing other stuff. 
Well, there you go, Celeste. You sure. heard it from the most All humble right. of the players. Yeah. <laughs> Even though the third player starts with an extra card, you still need resources for these cards. <laughs> you know, you don't. It doesn't matter how many cards you got. You still have to have resources, and almost all of them require a variety. There's a function and a difference between a three-player game and a four-player game, because we played three-player. You were limited to those early spaces because you can only occupy one of your workers on any one of those spaces. It's considered closed once we put Ed and I put our workers on there. If we were playing a four-player game, it would have opened up a second space on each of those opportunities. I ended up with a lot of cards that I just never even really thought about trying to put out. And here's the big thing, guys. There weren't any synergies available for them. A hunting for synergy is a big part of any uh, these types of games where there's clearly an advantage to finding the right card to play after this card because you get either to play a card for free or you get, um, you know, when you get these two together, you get extra bonus points. So looking for those synergies is great. And there are a couple of spots on the board where you can dish cards to get resources. I really wanted to get some good synergies. You know, I was interested in the storyline. You know, the post office comes can get a postal worker critter that adds to its synergy and they get more, you know, or in the clock tower, can you can get a bat to go with it. But actually what I was finding was there were so many different buildings, so many varieties of them that we ended up really not seeing a lot of the synergies. There's a really big deck in there. And you're not going to see all the cards in the game. And there are some mechanics in there to help you fist through the cards. Like there's, there's an action space I saw where you can dish your whole hand in order to be able to see eight new cards. If you're really looking for like, I need that t-shirt, let me see eight new cards so I can maybe find that t-shirt. Yeah, I think that we probably should have been using file through the cards more often mm-hmm. opportunities. I don't think we probably we probably didn't use those enough. Yeah, oftentimes when you play a new game, every card in your hand seems like it has a lot of potential. So you really are averse to just throwing your whole hand away and getting new stuff. I know during part of the game, I didn't appreciate uh, Evan throwing that little minus two fool onto my <laughs> city. You're welcome. Uh, Evan the Neg Master. <laughs> So actually that makes, that kind of makes me wonder since I didn't play, I I was wondering what are the conflicts in this game? Like, it seems like everything's pretty peaceful in the village and the worst thing that happens is like, oh, I burned my pie or something like that. Like, (laughs) like what's the real conflict? Like as Celeste pointed out, it's a worker placement game. So there are particular spots in the game where, no, they may be more attractive at times. Like, oh, I want to get the three twig base because that's clearly better than the two twigs in a in a card. See, I'm digging. I I more wanted to know about like their personal conflicts in the game, not not just the actual mechanical things, but like you know what what happens that's so bad that this this badger has to be worried about it. You know. Yeah, it was pretty tame in that regard. I appreciate how the the worker placement part of it kind of builds up. You start off with just two workers and it feels like that's not enough stuff to do and that i have to end my season right away and it's neat that everybody's going to be at different seasons at time because when you end your season not necessarily the same time as everybody else does that was an interesting aspect that we all move at our own pace i mean i was done with the game before evan and ed by a long shot (laughs) (laughs) Okay, explorers, it's time to dig up or bury Everdell. Evan? 
Everdell delivers on its promises of worker placement, resource management, and tableau building. It plays as well as it looks. Tons of replayability. I say dig it up. Ed? Everdell brings in a lot of well-executed game mechanics and presents them in a world that you'll want to visit again. I'll dig this up so I can build another town in Everdell. I will admit that I came to this game prejudiced. I am unfairly skeptical of games that look too pretty, worried that they will fail to deliver an engaging game and instead depend on their good looks to carry them through. But it proved me wrong, bringing an engaging set of, albeit broadly, story-based synergies to this city building. Dig it up. If you have thoughts about Everdell, come chat with us on Facebook or you can follow us on Instagram and chat there where you can also see our hyper unboxing of this game and our fun picks and vids. Hey everybody, we want to take a few minutes just to tell you what else is going on with which game first. Well, I've been kind of manning the Instagram helm lately and I just noticed that we topped 2,500 followers and got about 500 in just a week. Nice. So, awesome. Very excited. We've been also hearing from a lot of people so many, in fact, that it's hard to keep up with you guys. You're sending us links for your active Kickstarters, copies of your games to play and review for the show, and just telling us about stuff that you're doing that's fun out there in the gaming community. We answer all our DMs, all the direct messages on Instagram. We're on it every day. So it is a really great spot to reach us. Also, Facebook, which is getting closer and closer to Instagram. <laughs> They're merging, merging into one They monster. are kind of merging. I sense it coming. <laughs> Definitely Facebook is a great place to catch us too. I actually caught some Facebook updates right through my Instagram yesterday. So not a oh, bad place yeah. to reach us too. Evan, what else is going on? Yeah, I want to remind the listeners to join us live every Thursday night at 7 p.m. Eastern where we play a board game online. It's unrehearsed. It's unscripted. Very unscripted. It's a first-time playthrough. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> and there's plenty of audience interaction, including topical trivia for the viewers, which they <laughs> love, love, love. Uh, last Thursday, we played a game called Moonrakers at the re- at the request of one of our listeners. One of our patrons. Thanks, Tolkien fan. <laughs> and we had an absolute blast doing it. So that was a great, great suggestion. Yeah, some of the designers even joined us that night and uh, were able to help us with rules. <laughs> Thank goodness. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good As thing. we often need with these first time playthroughs. Yeah. But please do that more, designers. Come join us and tell us what the actual rules are before we fumble our way through them the hard way. <laughs> <laughs> and if you'd like to support our show, you can become a patron for just $3 a month, which gives you access to our exclusive. Wait for it, guys. We're going to do it at the end. Mm-hmm, our mm-hmm. exclusive podcast that we put out weekly just for patrons. It is called. Bonus points. Bonus points. <laughs> that, by the way, is the way we intro every single one of our bonus points. <laughs> you get a unique reading of the title from all of us every single week. And it's a great podcast where we are much looser. It's an unstructured type of a show where we're chatting it up about a given topic one of us comes up with every week. So if you want to support our show, we would really appreciate it. Thank you to our patrons. You guys keep the lights on. You can go to our website and click on Become a Supporter today. (laughs) Our last game up this week is Swack. 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 Whack. (laughs) Published by Ideal in 1968. Number of players, two to four. 
Playtime, 30 minutes. Okay, Mike, tell us what's in the box. (laughs) Couldn't even finish that sentence. (laughs) All right. On the cover of SWAC, you find a stark white backdrop with the word SWAC with an exclamation point (laughs) plastered above three children of the corn. Attempting to steal wedges of cheese from what seems to be a mousetrap large enough to capture a Great Dane. <laughs> when you open the box, you're supposed to find a giant, giant plastic mousetrap. <laughs> About 20 pieces of cheese in small and large sizes, four pegs in different colors, and a very large piece of cheese used for scoring. Now, what we actually found in the box, uh, we'll talk about that later. But for now, (laughs) that's what's in the box. (laughs) Well, before we tell you if SWAC is whack, Evan, (laughs) tell us how it's played. SWAC is a trap. Literally a giant mousetrap. And it's up to you to take small pieces of cheese from it without getting swacked. The player must take one, two, or three pieces of cheese from the trap's pan. A player gains three points for each large piece of cheese and one point for each small piece of cheese that's successfully taken. If the trap springs, the player springing the trap loses ten points. Right, Mike? (laughs) Oh my god, we'll talk about that. Players take turns removing cheese until someone springs that trap and then all the cheese taken is replaced and the trap is reset. When a player reaches the end of the scoring track, the game ends immediately and mercifully. It also ends when somebody flips the table, too. (laughs) First off, I love how the cover of this ideal game couldn't make up its mind which tagline to go with. So they just put both on the cover. Take the cheese with care, if you dare. And if the trap goes swack. You jump back. (laughs) I love it. Oh, my gosh. It's almost better than the game itself. I cannot stress how big this this trap is. Oh, my God. It's like a foot and a half long. Oh, it's board game size. Yeah, think like a Monopoly box, right? But just the whole box is filled with this one mouse trap. (laughs) It is. It, It was remarkable. Now, Evan, you got this. Where'd you get it? Like eBay or something? Yeah, I bought it online. Um, <laughs> you know, okay. I was I was drawn in by the name, obviously, and yeah. and the and the box cover was like, all right, this is right up Mike's alley. I'm convinced that you choose these games strictly based on the box cover, Evan. <laughs> yes, oh, yeah. I do sometimes. I do sometimes. We received it in the mail. Okay, we did a little uh, unconventional unboxing of it. I think there's video of it somewhere. <laughs> yes, it's on, on. You can see it on our Instagram. So we pulled it out. Okay. And then we, we opened the box and look at the components. And there's that, that giant mousetrap as described, but it's broken. <laughs> <laughs> the spring on it is like stretched and jerry rigged beyond recognition. The mechanism is like appropriately broken for a vintage. Oh my game. gosh, is this thing going to work? And. And then you get to the other large component of this game, which is the counter, the counterboard, which is this enormous plastic piece of cheese with a bunch of holes in it. Almost looks like a cribbage board in a way. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. That, that's fine enough. Cheap plastic and whatnot. But there's no pegs. <laughs> <laughs> there's one peg, Evan. It, it, it came with a peg. A it peg, came yeah. with a peg-like thing, which is actually 
a plastic fork tine snapped off. <laughs> it yep. was a plastic fork tine somebody left in the box. Yeah. <laughs> and one of them. Not uh, only four, one. one. You get one. So I'm like, is, is this a co-op game? What is this? No. <laughs> We're all going to be on the same track? The, the she tracker was an obnoxious game component. <laughs> <laughs> and to add insult to injury, we made Evan go down and get the pegs out of his brand new oh. super awesome cribbage mm. board, oh, which you can yeah. also mm, see mm. on Instagram, and stick it into this large plastic chunk of cheese. Oh, it was a travesty. There's no other way to put it. Yes, that's the appropriate word. Yeah. I mean, but, this big, ugly, yellow hunk of plastic cheese with, <laughs> like, these glowing, like, metal golden pegs with, like, beautiful, intricate, pristine. beautiful design on them in it. Oh, it was sad. sad. I mean, that cribbage board is gorgeous. It got the most views we've ever gotten on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's paired up with this. And Ed was actually handy enough to fix the trap. Oh, thank you, Ed. It was, yeah, I was very impressed. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> he, he put his engineering skills to work and got it to function. Barely, but it functioned. <laughs> yeah, it functioned. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure that we call it a game, but it functioned. It put the fun in function. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, I love the fact that Ed had to repair it. I mean, yes. what would an ideal game from our childhood be if you didn't have to repair it? The games Ideal made were born to break and be fixed. <laughs> uh, it's it's kind of a trap of all physical games like that where there's moving components and stuff. They have to try to produce it as cheaply as possible. And it also has to try to withstand the test of time. Oftentimes you end up with just a box of garbage after a couple <laughs> of years. <laughs> yeah. But you're, Mikey, you're assuming it didn't start off at the box of garbage. <laughs> All right, let's go deep here. Let's get into the strategy oh, okay. of this game. All right. Oh, boy. All right. Okay. So you Oof, load up the, the rules. Yeah, you yeah. load up this cheese board that's stuck inside <laughs> the trap, right? You load yeah, it up. Yeah, the, the, the pan. The pressure plate. The pan. Yeah. Cheese pan. Right. Cheese pan. I love it. Now, the cheese pan. Y- there's actually two different, supposedly two different size cheeses one's worth more points than the other but honestly i could not tell the difference between the big cheeses and the little cheeses mikey pointed a two a couple times and told me it was a big slice but i'm like it looks exactly the same yeah well the first time i took two big slices out and put them in front of you and pointed to one and said that's the small one and that's the big one on purpose just to mess with you (laughs) that's why it was so confusing Uh, if you put them next to each other, they they are different, but yeah, they they have the same look, shape, color, <laughs> and almost the same size. It's not. Yeah, it's like cheddar and Gruyere. It's no, no just no. identical chunks of the same cheese. <laughs> right. right. If the large piece represents one point one hundred percent, the smaller piece is like ninety six percent. So it, that's your differential of size. Yeah, exactly. So here's the pan of giant cheese chunks. Right now, you gotta stick your hand. Under this gigantic trap and hope it doesn't literally whack you on the arm. Smack you. I was was scared. It's probably a good thing the spring was broken because I don't know how much torque that thing would have had if it was fully functional. You know why it was broken, right? Because the big brother tried to tighten that trap so hard. Yes. Yes. That's exactly what happened. Oh, my God. (laughs) 
<laughs> that would have been me, the big brother. Try to cause injury to your siblings. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's great. Mm-hmm. It's from the 60s, of course. That's normal. And that's the game. You stick your hand in there and hope that the piece of cheese you remove doesn't tri- trip the trap. Because if it trips mm-hmm. the trap, Mike, you go back 10 spaces on the cheese board. Oh, Negative yes. movement. Wait, with it outraged and your maximum <laughs> points you can get on your turn is nine. <laughs> well, there are a bunch of games that Ideal made back in the 60s and 70s that are like this. And I am nostalgic for all of them. I had so much fun playing with these stupid doohickey type games. <laughs> it, it, and that always broke. And, and inevitably, pieces went missing within hours of opening the box. Oh, yeah. Because these weren't games that, you know, Ed covets his games, right? The pieces, the components, everything. You know, it's like a treasure. These games were not treasure. They were throwaway play one time on a Saturday in the rain, and you didn't care if you lost cheese pieces or not. It didn't matter. I don't know. I loved Mousetrap and was heartbroken when pieces went missing in Mousetrap. Oh, yeah. And there were so many pieces. Oh, I used to try to make my own pieces for Mousetrap. That's smart. I have a question for Ed. Yes. Ed, Ed, what was your strategy going into SWAC? <laughs> Tell me, what, what was your mindset? My strategy was to try to not get SWAC because mm-hmm. getting SWAC was way worse than taking any point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. you, so basically, Ed would have passed if that was an option. And that is an option. It is an option. You don't have to take three pieces. You can take one piece and say, you know what? That point, that board is going to swing. I'm going to give that to Evan so he can get swacked. So there are. So you're saying there are important decisions that must be made during the gameplay, Ed? Uh, I said there are decisions that can be made. Important? I wouldn't go there. But yes, there are decisions. Depends on what importance you put on winning this game. <laughs> well, at the SWAC World Game Competition, <laughs> the SWAC off, they call it. <laughs> <laughs> Worth the wait. Worth the wait. I think we've swacked in this game as hard as we can. Okay, explorers, it's time to dig up or bury SWAC. Evan? SWAC is many things ridiculous, silly, stupid, and cheesy. It's not a game people will likely play more than a few times with their children, but all that said, we laughed the whole time, so therefore, dig it up. Ed? I like cheese, but this game is just a trap. <laughs> Period. Mike? Even at its best, this game would be horrible. <laughs> if you love weird, kitschy game components, maybe this is for you. Otherwise, I suggest you bury this bad boy. I can't help it. I miss the type of contraption games that were so popular when I was young. With doohickeys to manipulate and the inevitable break that requires rigging to fix, SWAC wasn't exactly a tour de force in this department, but it did awaken that hands-on spirit. I am digging it up. What? Yes! yes. <laughs> Are you kidding me? It's a tie! Nope. Two to two! <laughs> <laughs> If you have thoughts about SWAC, we definitely want to hear about it. Come talk to Uh. us on Facebook or Instagram and check out our picks. And that brings us to the end of our show. We look forward to hearing about all the game exploring you are doing. Come and talk to us on Facebook and Instagram and Discord. And patrons get access to exclusive channels. 
If you'd like more perks and content from our show, become a supporter for just $3 a month. You can get access to our exclusive podcast. Bonus points. Bonus points. Bonus points. Just go to our website and click on become a supporter today. Thanks for listening and happy gaming explorers. Swackity swack. Don't talk back. What? I got to build a building out of pebbles? How strong is that going to be? And the cheese stands alone.